where I didn't want to ask for directions to a place where I couldn't. And I ran and I ran and I ran. And about an hour and a half later, I realized I was going to be late for dinner. And my feet hurt. And a bunch of other parts of me hurt. Um, I'm not getting into all that. But, like, I was very uncomfortable. And eventually I, I came across a guy with a tractor. And I flagged him down and he gave me directions. And I ran another five miles to get back. And my wife was sitting there waiting for me when I came in. And I got a look. The, hey, we're late for our anniversary dinner look. And the, hey, you realize you smell like the underside of somebody's gym shorts. And I, and I come running, and that was way crasser than I meant to be. I'm sorry. I, I came in, and I, I didn't pay attention to the look. I drank a gallon of water because I had a quart, right? And when I run for two hours, which I don't, um, <laughs> I, and so I, I did that, and I soaked in the tub and everything else. I was just miserable and hot and tired and hurting. And the next day, like, like we, we went, they moved our reservation, which was nice. But the next day we went to, to church where I was supposed to talk, and my feet were so blistered I couldn't stand up. And so I sat on a stool in front of this, <laughs> this congregation, and I, and I told this dumb story. And they all knew exactly where I was, and they thought it was hilarious. By the way, I passed within like a quarter mile of the bed and breakfast at one point on my return trip, um, which made it even less funny. Um, <laughs> so here, here's where I'm going with this. There is a point. Um, I had several big things I need to accomplish that day, right, or that weekend. I had a date with my wife, right? That's important. And I had work to do the next morning. My decision to do what I wanted had a really negative impact on both of those things. Everybody with me? Um, I had a target, and I, and I shot at what I wanted. And I'm going to tell you, everybody ask Ross about his skunk story, because I almost use that. It's a much better story, but it's better when he tells it. So everybody ask Ross about skunks and anniversaries. Just to tell you, it's a good story. Um, <laughs> Um, so I, 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 um, I picked what I wanted to do. I lost focus. Here, let me bump up my next slide here. I actually have slides today. Um, I, I, I got sidetracked. I aimed at what I wanted. And instead of, like, paying attention to my priorities, I, I paid attention to, to something else. And as a result, I kind of threw a wrench in my works. Everybody with me? By the way, anybody done this before? Am I, I mean, not running and getting lost, obviously. There's no corn here. Um, <laughs> but pick the wrong target, right? And you wake up in the morning, you say, man, I picked the wrong target. I, uh, I should not have been chasing after this. And so um, as we dive into John here, uh, we are working our way through the Gospel of John right now. Um, this latter half of this first chapter is all about, uh, has, a, has a heavy discipleship theme, and we're going to be looking at it from that perspective, but I'll try and unpack it as best I can. Um, and so like a little background, we started in John's gospel a few weeks ago or months ago, maybe does it sound like months now? Uh, feels like months yet. Feels like months today already, Eric, get on with it. Um, John has started out his book. He talks about Jesus's origin story, right? Jesus is before creation, before time existed. Jesus was with God and he was God, meaning like Jesus always existed. He was not created. And he is one with God, even though, like, he's separate, which is a whole conversation we're not getting into today. The sermon is online. If you want to listen to it, I talk about it in depth. It is long. So, um, John 1, 
he gives us this four story, this like explanation. He talks about John the Baptist briefly. And then he jumps ahead to John the Baptist, and we have this story that we looked at last week where John is out there doing his thing. He's baptizing folks, and these, these investigators, like the temple police, showed up. And these guys don't like John because he's making waves, and they start asking him questions, and John is very in-your-face because he's that kind of guy. Um, and and uh, so we, we talked about that last week, but John is... Right after this, he at the end of that conversation, he says to him, you know what, there's a guy coming that you don't even know. He says to the religious folks, like, like God himself is stepping into the world and you don't know him. And he basically insults them, right? At the end of the conversation, he says, he's even standing amongst y'all and you don't know him. Y'all, don't make fun of the way I talk, little girl. I got the microphone. You are loud, but I'm louder. <laughs> That's an early lesson I learned in church because I'm mouthy too. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying, you're, yeah, you are. Um, so John the Baptist, uh, real quick as well, final thing about John. John is a rock star in ancient Israel history, right? He gets mentioned in books. He gets mentioned by historians. He is all over the place, and the Jewish people loved him. The king was afraid of him. The king was married to a woman who was not his wife, who was actually his brother's wife. He says, hey, my brother's wife is pretty hot. I'm going to go ahead and marry her, and you have a nice day. They probably had really, really uncomfortable Thanksgiving dinners. Um, That's for you, Michael. Uh, They probably had really uncomfortable Thanksgiving dinners, and John would call him out on it, outright, and eventually... uh, the king's wife had John's head cut off, basically, is the short version of the story. And so, as John the Baptist, um, we're, we're continuing with him, and we're picking up in 29. And in 29, we see, right, we see the next day. So, this is the next day after the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all these temple police have showed up and talked to him. He saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said... Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is a big statement, but it's the kind of thing you would expect a prophet to say. John was a prophet. That doesn't mean he was a fortune teller or anything. It means that John spoke for God sometimes. God would send prophets to say, hey, guys, get your act together. Everybody with me? And so John's job was to show up and say, the Messiah, like God's chosen one, God's guy who's saving the world is coming, and you guys need to, like, get ready. He was preparing a way for the Lord, like we had in the Ezekiel song that they were dancing to. And so uh, John starts out, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, in our world, most folks, if you've showed up at church more than once, you've heard this phrase, Lamb of God. Anybody, is this new for you? It's not, right? In ancient Israel, nobody said this. Like, John coins the phrase. Like, he, he is that trend-setting. And it's so unusual that there are scholars who say that John probably said, look, it's the chosen of God, or something along those lines, um, and that the text got changed. But, like, the best texts we have say Lamb of God. So, um, is it the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? What does that mean? Well, there's a list, actually, because at the time, the world was in disorder for the Jewish people. Anybody ever feel that way right now? Anybody a little annoyed by how much, like, conspiracy theory and crazy is floating around in the world sometimes? You know, and I, I, there's a popular preacher who is making a fortune right now selling bunker supplies for when the world ends. You know, and it, okay. Um, and, 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 
um, folks have a tendency, they get uncomfortable, they start talking, well, what's going to happen now? Is the world going to end? Is Jesus coming back? Is God going to do something big? Is something going to happen? And the Jewish people were no different. They were waiting for God to do something huge. They're like, God is going to come, and he is going to beat up the enemy, and he is going to save us, and he's going to do all of this other stuff, and it's going to be great. And, and they are waiting for that. And John the Baptist shows up, and there's all this excitement around him, and he says this, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, amongst the Jewish folks, there's a lot of possibility right? Like, what exactly does he mean? He could mean, like the Passover lamb. Everybody knows the story of Moses? Um, when Moses brought the, you know, the Israelites out of Egypt, like the last plague was the plague of the firstborn. They sacrificed a lamb and painted their door with the blood, and that was like this sign for the angel of the Lord to pass him over. And they all, like, survived the ordeal, and they got away into the desert. And that's one possibility. It's actually a very strong possibility. It's the one that most folks, when they read this, they assume that's what he's talking about. Uh, it could also be a reference to, like, Abraham, you know, like in the sacrifice of Isaac. Like, when he doesn't sacrifice Isaac and God provides, a, like, a ram and he sacrifices that instead. There are all sorts of sacrifices that took place at the temple. Isaiah 53 has a great line. I highly recommend you read it. It's in the bulletin under the weekly reading about, like, a lamb before the slaughter and all this other stuff. There's these possibilities, lots of possibilities as to what John might have meant. I'm going to offer a suggestion here. I think John was talking something he didn't quite understand. Everybody with me? We see this in John's gospel elsewhere. You have the head priest who shows up later on and he says, well, you know what? This Jesus guy is a problem. He's probably going to bring the Roman authorities down on us and cause some problems. So let's just go ahead and kill him. It's better that he die than the whole nation suffer. Everybody with me? And in reality, what he said was prophetic. Like, it's good that one man would die for the nation. And that's really what Jesus does. He dies for all people, right? Um, and so John is speaking, but he probably doesn't quite understand it. If I was going to guess exactly what John was meaning, there's a whole bunch of extra test, you know, like extra books. These books that were written that aren't part of the Bible that are floating around in the ancient world for whatever reason. And um, they talk about this lamb who would show up and like be sort of this, this uh, Godzilla type, right? Just show up and stomp on the bad guys. And they're all expecting this lamb. And we sort of, I'm arguing this because... Um, he probably was expecting Jesus to show up and take away the sin of the world with the, you know, the wooden spoon in my house when we were growing up, right? You we're going to go ahead and take away your sin. You know, <laughs> start behaving. Um, nobody else got that, I assume. It's just me. And it hardly ever happened because I'm pure as the driven snow. <laughs> so, John is saying this. He's like, look, it's the Lamb of God, and the Lamb of God is going to fix stuff. And he actually sends a message to Jesus from jail a few chapters later. And he says, hey, Jesus, you going you know, to do something? I'm sitting in jail. Can you go ahead and bring some of this wrath of God business about? Are you going to act? Are you really him? Why haven't you done anything yet? You know, and, and it's kind of you know, easy to understand. If you assume John probably didn't know what he was talking about. He probably didn't know exactly what Jesus was there to do. And he tipped his hand at this. Um, now, I'm going to take an aside here. Uh, has it, any of y'all ever seen those internet things? You had one job, right? Oh, yeah. You know, and you'll see like a line painter on the highway and the guy just paints over like a dead squirrel or something and, you know, or paints around a tree instead of cutting it up, you know, or whatever. Like you had one job and you screwed it up. John had one job, right? Um, in the previous section, we talked about John's one job. John's one job was to talk about Jesus, Right? 
John's one job was to be the announcer. He shows up in advance and announces, hey, the man is coming, right? That is his one job. He is the announcer. And so John has one job, one job. And guess what he has just done? His one job. <laughs> he is hyper-focused on doing this one job. He says it over and over again throughout like every account we have of John the Baptist. And in fact, when folks would show up and they'd be like, well, wait a minute, if I've got to clean up my act, what am I supposed to do? And his, if you read his teachings about how to live, they're pretty simple, and there ain't a whole lot to it, and it's not very revolutionary. The big thing John says over and over again is, guys, prepare your hearts, repent from your sins, turn away from the junk you're doing because... The man is coming, right? John does his one job right here. He announces. Jesus is coming. He is here. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He has no idea what it even means, but he does it, right? When I was in college, I had a job in a steel mill. It was the worst job I ever had. Actually, absolutely the worst job I ever had, and that is quite an accomplishment. And, and working in that steel mill, I had various jobs along the way. Um, I'm lucky I was not crushed by machinery because I have the attention span of a hummingbird. And, and it, I would never do that kind of work again. But you would have these little jobs that were a part of a bigger assembly, right? You didn't sit at the punch press all day and think, well, why doesn't somebody explain to me exactly where my little punched-out tabs are going? <laughs> you didn't do that. You operated the stupid machine, right? That was your, that was your job. You didn't have to understand. In John's case, John had this thing to do, and he did it. There's an example here worth following. Um, when the job came up, he was ready, he was adamant, he recognized it, and he jumped on it, right? And, and this is something, gosh, I, I love y'all, and, I, and I, I'm not knocking on any of y'all. It is something you see in the church a lot. Um, we get distracted. Isn't it true? Um, we, we get excited about books about diet plans. Not y'all, because y'all are thin and beautiful. I'm not talking about y'all. But like there are whole chunks of Christianity that worry about stuff that has nothing to do with what we're here to do, right? They get distracted, or they get so focused on politics, or they get so focused on this, or so focused on some, you know, hey, if you do this with God, he'll make you rich. You know, nowhere in the Bible. But like, let's focus on that. Um, and, and it's easy to lose focus. And part of what I want to draw your attention to with John is, folks, we have a job, right? We have a job. It is a serious job. It is not a job we just get to ignore. This is like Jesus died for this, right? For us to be sanctified, which means to become like clean, right? And for us to grow spiritually, to be like him, and for us to do his work in this world, which means that we... Um, tell people about Jesus. That's a big one, right? We live like Jesus, so we have credibility in that, and so we can be more like Jesus. And we bless the folks that are around us. We love them no matter what, even when it's not fun. That is like a huge, you know, go forth into the world and make disciples. Disciples are people who just grow up to be like Jesus. I love the old kung fu movies. Anybody ever seen an old kung fu movie? I was hearing all about one from Mark this morning. You know, and you had the, the wise and old master who was bald and had the Great goatee I hope to one day have. And, and he had Grasshopper who follows him around. What was Grasshopper's job? To learn what that guy was doing and become like him. We are all Jesus' grasshoppers. Our job is to become like him. Everybody with me? I'm trying to stop saying that in sermons. And so 
I, uh, I'm not doing very well. So, sorry about that. <laughs> Everybody with me. I'm trying to stop saying it. I'm sorry. Anyway. So behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John does his one job. He does it serious. He does it. Doesn't understand it necessarily, but he knows it's important. The other end of this, well, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, verse 30, if I can get it to come up. There it is. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. Now, John, we don't have him saying this in the book of John, but we have John the author of this book. It's kind of confusing because there are two Johns. John, the author of this book, like, like says this in verse 19, right? So if you back up to verse 19, John says, John the Baptist was awesome. He came first. Jesus came second, but Jesus was greater because he existed first. And so John points back to the beginning of this. He points backward. And the other thing he's doing, by the way, um, John has credibility, Right? You ever met somebody with enormous credibility that, like, no matter what you they say, you're doing it, right? Or no matter what they say, you believe it. I, uh, I, uh, what two years ago, I uh, I bought uh, a couple of T-shirts for uh, the gal who runs the grocery store for her son for Christmas, and I ordered them off the internet. I gave them to her. I delivered them, and she gave me like a fifty. For them, for the like to pay me back, and I had this fifty-dollar bill. And then I went to Peps and I picked up dinner. I came home, and my wife was sitting there. I said, "Honey, I look at this. I I went into Peps and they had a contest, and I won. So I got my dinner free and fifty dollars." And she looked at me. And she's like, "What?" And I said, "It was an arm wrestling contest, and I won." And I told this grand story. And she said, that can't possibly be true. And I held up the 50. And after a little bit, she started believing me because I'm a horrible person. Do you think my wife believes most of what I say now? Not really, because I do things to screw up my credibility. Um, Mark, I'm, I'm making that up. Wives love that. <laughs> Um, in reality, John had enormous credibility. When John spoke, he meant it, and people believed him. There, there was no reason anybody would think John was lying. John could use this to point to himself. Y'all ever watch somebody point at themselves? Right? I'm doing it a little bit today. I'm telling all my personal stories and all that. Like, but most of them put me in a pretty negative light, so that's okay. Um, but folks will take their credibility and point to themselves because it feels good. What John does, he gives us an example. Watch this. If we are followers of Jesus, who do we point at? Him, right? Because it's basically what John says. He says, listen, after me comes a man who ranks before me. So he points at Jesus and he says, hey guys, you're following me. There are thousands of you here. This guy's more important, right? As disciples, as followers of Jesus, we are supposed to point not at us, right? Who do we point at? Jesus. It's the Sunday school answer. You can't get it wrong if you say Jesus. <laughs> yes. Um, so he points toward, the, toward Jesus. He doesn't take credit. Um, there's an important thing there is pride. Anybody know what pride is? It's a big pack of lions. It's also this part of you that doesn't like to admit that you're wrong. Um, John is humble. Humble is hard, isn't it? It is a really hard thing to look at the folks around you sometimes and say, I screwed up. 
I am messed up. I am not perfect. I am sorry, you know, but this is who I am. It is a hard thing. I know folks who will destroy their own lives rather than say, I'm messing up. And a lot of folks who come to them say, hey, can you just talk? And in the end it is, no, I can't do that. I would rather hold on to my pride than acknowledge that I'm not perfect. And John is demonstrating what it means to not have pride. John is pointing to Jesus and he's saying, Jesus, right? I'll tell you, I have folks who come up to me every day, not every day, frequently, people who don't know me well enough to know better, and they'll say, Eric, you are so great at this, and I love that you did this, and I love that you did that. And my response should always be, you know what, if you knew me well enough, you'd know I'm a pretty rotten guy. I'm selfish, I'm self-centered, I'm angry frequently, I'm all of these things. When you see me do really well, you're seeing Jesus in me. If you knew me ten years ago, you wouldn't recognize me, and that is the gospel truth. Like, you would not, right? I do good things because Jesus is in me, making me better in the process of, like, making me better. Uh, I, I am a disciple, I'm a follower, and that is what we are all called to do. And John gives us a great example. Sees his job, does it, first point, right? Second point, he's humble in doing it. Points toward Jesus because that's our job. That is what we're here for. Um, pride is the enemy of spiritual growth. It is the thing that will keep you hypocritical. I say that because I, because it applies to me in the past, right? So verse 31. Oh my gosh, he's only gone through two verses. How is that possible? I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Now watch this. John has just said, I had no idea who this Lamb of God was. I was told, go out and baptize folks. I was told to go out, stand in this dirty river, do something that most Jewish people consider to be fairly offensive. Like to baptize a Jew was like... It was no good. Nobody did it. It was something you did to non-Jewish people to bring them into the Jewish faith. Nobody baptized Jewish folks. He was doing something blatantly offensive. So he is told by God, go out, tell people about my Messiah coming, my chosen one coming, and baptize Jewish people. And he's like, well, I don't know who this guy is, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it because this is what I've been told to do. Now, why is this important? Why am I bringing it up? Um, we are all called, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're forgiven for your sins, if you are like belonging to God, we are called to grow. I talk to folks I, very frequently who will say to me, I cannot picture my own life better than it is. I cannot picture a, life ver- you know, a version of my life where I stop doing this. I cannot picture a version of my life where this has changed. I cannot picture a version of my life where this has changed. And they say, well, I you know, and, and the answer always is, take one foot and put it where? In front of the other. I'm glad I answered that quick because somebody would have given me grief. Um, put one foot in front of the other. Get going in the direction that God is sending you in. And if you trust him enough, right, if you believe him that he is telling you the truth, then you can head in that direction. If somebody says, go that way, and you believe him, you might go the way they're saying. And you might end up where you're going or where you intend to go. In this case, John was told by God, go, do these things. Do them so that 
the man himself will show up, so the Messiah. So like God's lamb will take all of our punishment, like for every rotten thing we've ever done, every bad thing, you know, thought, word, deed, everything, like he'll get punished for it, we'll get forgiven. It is fantastic, awesome, and he needs to be like revealed. And so John says, well, baptizing needs to happen in order for it to happen. I'll do it, right? If, if becoming like Jesus means that I have to give things up that I really love, then I'll do that. If it means that I've got to confess and apologize to my wife on a regular basis because I can be kind of mean, right, I'll do it. If it means that I have to surround myself with people that I talk to and say, hey, this is where I'm struggling, this is where I'm not doing well, this is where I need to work harder, this is what I need, I'll do that because I want to be like Jesus. I, I want to be better than I am now. I want to be what he made me to be. And John doesn't see the future. He doesn't know, well, this is what's going to happen. But he says, this is what God told me to do. I'm going to do it. That is discipleship. Following Jesus, growing spiritually. This is just a matter of doing that. What he commands. And John bore witness. Remember we talked about the court showed up to talk to him, right? When courts show up, you are a witness. And so John testifies again. He stands up and he says, hey, here's my official briefing. Here is my statement. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot in this. I'm going to try and do it right. Um, so John testifies that when he baptized Jesus, we know that because we've read the other Gospels, right? When John baptized Jesus, he saw the heavens open, he saw the Spirit descend like a dove and stay on him. Now, when he's doing his witnessing, he gives proper credit, right? He points in the right direction toward Jesus, toward heaven, not toward himself. Um, And he emphasizes something very important. That thing he emphasizes is the Holy Spirit. He says it three times, actually. He mentions the Holy Spirit three times in that two verses. He mentions the Holy Spirit three times because when someone was a prophet, somebody was sent by God to speak, we would see in the Old Testament where it would talk about, and then the Spirit of the Lord was on him, right? And then the Spirit of the Lord was with him. And so Jewish people knew that if somebody was going to do great things from God, the Spirit of the Lord would show up. And so when John says, hey, I saw the Holy Spirit, saw him descend like a dove, So I'm like, stay on him and stay there. The fact that the Holy Spirit stayed with him is a pretty big thing from Old Testament like like perspective. Jewish people would hear that and be like, man, he's got a lot going on. Like he's awesome, right? This is this guy is like like super. He is he is next level. And so when John talks about the Spirit remaining, he's saying something pretty big here. He is pointing toward Jesus. He's saying this guy has a big thing to do now. I'm going to point you back. Last week, we talked about John comparing his ministry to Jesus. John says, I'm baptizing with water. Jesus is baptizing with the Holy Spirit. And so he is downplaying his own work again. When you are dirty, anybody here ever get dirty? I know there's a room full of farmers. The day I met Craig, I was interviewing here. I came in. Craig had been working all day. He came in 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 coveralls and everything else, and I thought he was homeless. Um. And I, I told his mom that, and she really has enjoyed mentioning it. Um, <laughs> or the few times I've seen, I've seen her mention it a few times, she seemed to get a lot of joy out of it. Um, when you are dirty, how do you get clean? You shower, 
right? And it is a, a hint. I brought it up for you. I'm kidding. <laughs> Just for the future reference, I pick on folks I like. That was, uh, that was a, a sign of love. Um, <laughs> so John mentions his, you wash up when you're dirty, right? And so John says, listen, I'm baptizing with water. This guy is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is quite a different matter. The Holy Spirit brings new life. And so John is saying, I wash you up when you're dirty. This Jesus fellow, I baptize the Holy Spirit. Come to him. He's here to bring you back to God, like bridge this gap, bring you all together. Um, He's going to give you new life. I'm washing you up. He's bringing you back to life. He's going to make things brand new. And like the scriptures give us great images of this. As far as the east is from the west, so far are you from like the bad things that you've done, the sins that you've committed. Um, Though your sins are like scarlet, I've made them white like the snow is in Isaiah. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I mention it twice a month at least. And so just be aware. Uh, I've got it written on my hand. Um, John is pointing toward a new life that comes from Christ. He is doing his job. He's doing it very effectively. He knows what he's talking about. Right? Because he knows how to talk about Old Testament prophets. Like, this is study. This is study. The, the problem that we often have, and I have it frequently, like, is that we just, we don't know. We don't study, we don't read, we don't know. And not knowing is a hindrance. It's not everything. We talked about that last week. Not knowing, you know, knowing things about God isn't the same thing as knowing him. Conversely, we have to know things. John demonstrates discipleship at this point by, like, saying, hey, I know this. And he tells how he knows it. Also, by the way, there's a reference to Isaiah here. Isaiah tells us that the one that God chooses, the Spirit will descend on him like a dove. Right? Kind of cool. And so, like, John is pointing, hey, I know it's true because this is the warning God gave me. And John finishes up his talking part. He says, and I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Um, He gets to the end of his speech. Jesus has walked through the crowd. He's been baptized earlier, probably about a month earlier. Sound right? Well, sound right or not, it's about when it happened. Uh, (laughs) and, And Jesus shows up. He walks through the crowd and he says, hey, there's the man. And he says, I saw the Spirit descend on him like a dove. This is God's chosen person. I didn't know who he was. I know who he is now. And I'm telling you, that's the man. And he finishes up, and I, this is an emphatic in Greek. He is saying this final, like, thing. This is it, right? I have seen this thing, and I've borne witness. I had a job to do. I did it. Sound right? John knows his goal. He's not running in cornfields trying to figure out how to get back. Right? He knows the path. He has decided to follow this path, and he is obedient even when it's hard or doesn't make sense. Um, And he's single-minded in doing it. This is a hard thing in our culture, um, and we're going to talk about it in a second. I'm going to do a little bit of application, and we'll be done. Um, But John is is set in it. My job is to see it. My job is to explain it. And I'm done. Um, and it's good that he's done because he doesn't live a whole lot longer. Um, what do we do with this? Well, John has given us a great example. Um, the first thing is single-mindedness. We live in a culture full of exciting and fun things. Isn't it the truth? It is. There is a whole lot to pay attention to. There's a whole lot to be distracted by. I am saying this is a guy who, you know, looks something shiny, right? 
or squirrel. It's, there's so many things that draw us off the path that is set before us. Um, John is single-minded and focused in pointing toward Jesus and doing the job he's been giving. Um, as disciples, as followers of Jesus, single-mindedness is huge. Now, this does not mean I'm going to focus on God and ignore my family. Okay, I'm not giving you a pass there. Actually, what it means is I focus on Jesus, and it makes me better at doing this. I love my wife because Jesus shows me how to love your spouse by dying for the church, right? There's a whole thing in Ephesians, wonderful section. Um, Ask me about it later if you're curious. Um, But by following Jesus and growing more like him and being single-minded in it, it spreads to everything else. And rather than be distracted as believers, which is easy, right? Anybody angry at a politician right now? We have a culture that dumps gas on angry, doesn't it? You get on Facebook and you're, look at this horrible thing these people said. Look at this horrible thing these guys are doing. Or a corporation, anybody. I mean, there are all these things that we get so wound up about and so excited about. I got a dozen movies I'm excited to see in the next year. Right? I'm reading, I've read like five Star Wars novels in the last month because I'm so excited about these Star Wars movies. It's so awesome. Distraction is dangerous because it draws, it off, draws us off our path. And if we do it long enough, we get lost. And there's plenty of it. Um, Focusing on Jesus doesn't mean we don't enjoy our lives, doesn't mean we don't partake in pop culture, doesn't mean any of that. It means that we remain focused as our primary thing, like become like Jesus, do my job, grow spiritually, be different than I was yesterday because the Holy Spirit is cleaning me up and fixing all that gunk in my life. There is a single-mindedness that comes with discipleship. And it's all about pointing at Jesus. I know we're long, but songs went long. It's Larry's fault. Um, and so I'm going to close with prayer and I'm going to let you all go my challenge for you this week is as you head on out of here um, a little late and again I'm sorry it's Larry's fault um, as you head out of here um, look inside you right what are you aiming at what are you chasing after are you lost like have you taken a wrong turn in a neighborhood that didn't seem like the one you wanted to be in um Are you chasing after things that maybe aren't what you were supposed to chase after? Are you shortcutting? Um, Where are you at on this discipleship thing? Are you growing spiritually? Um, The next few sections of John are going to give us a lot of examples of this. Um, But it is a huge, huge thing that if you're going to begin the journey, you begin the journey and you follow the path to where you're going. Don't chase after squirrels. There's a... um, saying a man who chases two rabbits gets wet for dinner? Nothing. Um, If you chase too many things, you will lose this amazing thing that Jesus gives us in salvation and new life and the impact it can have on, like, your heart, your soul, your family, your everything. Um, We're going to close in prayer, and I'll let you all be. Heavenly Father, I pray to just thank you for the blessing that we have to know you and to serve you and to worship you in this place. Um, I praise you for the opportunity to um, just see in John an example of how to follow you, how to become like Jesus. Um, I pray that you would grant in the folks here um, single-mindedness, just a, a view that you love us and that you call us to chase after you, that you call us into intimate relationship with you, um, and that you call us to repentance and new life, like we're forgiven because Jesus died for us. Like, Help us to remain focused on that. Help us to remain driven at that. Um, and bless us in that effort. In Christ's name.
Amen.